Hello and welcome to New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. I'm Emily Newman. And I'm Catherine Doggle. This podcast is a chance to mull over the current goings on in hotel land, chat to some pleasant folk about things they know and provide some interest for your ears. We've brought our journalism and communication experience together with our sector knowledge and contacts to create a strategic PR company which understands investing in hotels and the many roles within them. This week on New Tricks, we're celebrating Freedom Day in England with Tom Oakden, Managing Director at Hilltop Hospitality Advisors. Up for discussion is inflation in the cinnamon bun market, why queuing is back and how hotel companies are selling assets to stay in the game. And welcome to another episode of New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. Regular listeners will have noted that I'm now going to say another episode of because we've done so many and they're so popular and so many people listen whilst running that uh, we've lost count. So we're on another episode. Congratulations to everyone involved. And to celebrate, um, we have a returning guest Tom Oakden, Managing Director of Hilltop Hospitality Advisors. Welcome to New Tricks. How are you? Really good, thank you, Emily. And thanks, of course, for having me back. It's it's great to be here. That's okay. It means you did something right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how are we how are we going to judge all of our other former guests? <laughs> well, how wait, are you waiting for that call? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Oh, let's not go there. Catherine, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Emily. How are you? Hot. Can I say hot? Because it's now got to that temperature in the UK that we were all very much looking forward to. But obviously now it's happened, we're all moaning about it. Of course, and that's the best part about it. That's exactly how that works, yes. Um, but other than that, I'm tremendous for a Monday, but gauging it all by Monday standards. Freedom is. Day, though. Freedom Day. Yes, I feel very free. Tom, do you feel free? Yeah, well, I was thinking that my perfect sort of Freedom Day would be a day without my family mm. uh, but I'm probably that's probably the wrong idea isn't it really um that's a bit selfish and instead I've embraced another full day with my family my dogs um another day after 18 months of being together many congratulations yeah I'd like to think you could sort of use you could interpret it in any way you want so if it was literally freedom to you know have a day off we could do that. But yes, in so in Freedom the Freedom Day in the UK, which also equals, I think, the highest number of cases we've ever, ever had. In the world now, I could like to congratulate you, take this time out to say wonderfully well done. It's all jolly times. Well, yes, we've worked hard at it. Um, but on to news of great importance, namely um, things to eat. Tom, you... Have t- please lead the charge on what delights you've been eating. I, well, I, food is, is very important for this podcast. I remember that last time, and I remember that this time as well. And I was talking to my wife about the podcast this morning, actually, and she said, are you going to talk about hotels? And I said, well, yes, but we'll talk about food first. And, and she didn't really understand. So anyway, here we are. Um, good question about the food. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say I've been – I've just come back from the great British seaside. I, I just thought I'd do what a lot of us are doing at the moment and taking bucket and spade and, and going, going coast, coastal. Um, but it's a real difference actually from, from a year ago because now there seem to be more queues than ever for food, um, particularly for ice cream, for the bakeries, for pastries, for pubs. And 
the other thing is that a lot of these things are more expensive now. There, there's been real price inflation in these sort of seaside towns. And I'll just give you an example of one of my favourite things to eat, particularly of a morning, which is a cinnamon roll. Mm. They used to be pound eighty at this very special bakery, and now they're £2.50. Now, call me old-fashioned, but that's about a 35% price hike. Mm. Did, you, did you raise this? Well, I didn't raise it. I, I just sort of took it on the chin. But it wasn't just that. Then you, you, you leave, the, you leave the, the bakery and then you walk past the estate agent and the holiday homes are £100,000 more than they were last year. The holiday rentals are 30% more, if you can get one. And so, so in many senses, it was sort of a, a foreign holiday in the UK, given, given the cost of everything. Um, but I did also take a wander down to the local caravan park, as one does, because I was just intrigued. There, there is so much money going into outdoor accommodation at the moment, particularly from the likes of KKR. And I just wanted to know what was it, what was it all about. And what I did find out was that it's a value proposition for, for um, holidaymakers. They can stay relatively affordably. They could buy a unit. They can rent an, a unit for a fraction of the price that you'd be able to buy a house or a, or a rental for. So, you know, if, if, it's, if, if KKR are thinking this is a good thing, well, I don't, I don't, I don't really think they're wrong. Um, they've certainly invested a billion last year and probably half a billion this year on a new acquisition, um, 100 holiday parks in Belgium, Denmark and Germany. Um, and I think this sort of investment will continue to gain momentum throughout Europe as, as we go forward. Do you think this is so? This is in no way linked to a sort of pandemic kind of spike, and we'll all just peter off. Do you think these investments are here to stay? Yeah, no, I really do. Actually, I really do because I think that a lot of people are realizing actually that they are great options for spending some quality time at, at, at areas they might not have been to before. And I think that this might be to the detriment of the Spains and Portugals, but it might be that more people decide to stay local and cost efficiently and see more of their countryside that they haven't seen before. Um, but also driving three hours with your kids versus traveling perhaps for a day or half a day, going to airports can be a little bit more stressful. So I think that we, we, we'll, we'll, we'll see it being a, um, not a fad, but a, 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 a sort of an established trend. Um, you raise a valid point on the travel. We, um, we have booked a holiday to Croatia, no less, in a couple of weeks' time. Well, the end of August, middle of August, green list. And just where there's five groups, five families going with, you know, numerous people and children of various ages. Um, I have never seen a more frantic WhatsApp group than our current WhatsApp group, which is full of moderately intelligent human beings who are trying to figure out how the chuff we get there and what we need to do and how we get back. And it's uh, the, the the process of just throwing everyone in the car and, and even braving the M5 on a Friday afternoon is considerably more appealing than trying to navigate how to get in and out of the country at this stage. And, and it, what's the list? Is it amber list or it, it's green? green, green list. It's green. green. <laughs> it's Fantastic. green. Yeah, you'd have thought so. You would have thought so. I'm still fretting about the inflation and the 
uh, move to self-catering that everyone has been seeing in terms of centre parks, because I haven't been to a centre parks for, ooh, let's call it seven years, and I've just been just the once. And the kind of inflation that moves you from £1.80 to £2.50 for a cinnamon bun in a centre parks must be astonishing at this point. They must be, it must be like the old the old days of German hyperinflation. They must be wheeling bin bags full of gold uh, to, to, to buy your ice creams at the centre parks. That's why everyone needs trailers these days to go to centre parks, oh, just course. to lug their <laughs> gold take coins. The that they will be requiring to pay for half an hour's archery. <laughs> exactly. But um, I hear it's a, it's a holiday of a lifetime, so you could probably get over that. Yes, that's true. It's, it's true. It's Potentially. Like, it's, yes. <laughs> all, the, all the sites of the world combined. <laughs> um, Catherine, you're still in the sunny south of France, I believe. How is the delightful south of France? I am still in the sunny south of France. It is pushing 31. Last time I attempted to go outside for more than a minute, um, I retreated from that. Obviously, it's a foolish move, um, so I'm staying in. And, uh, and I can confirm that we tested our COVID vaccine, European COVID vaccine passports the other day. I appreciate that the current um, incumbents of number 10 don't believe that they exist, but I assure you they do. Um, and went to Italy on Saturday. Um, and very pleasant it was too. I can also confirm that all those people who thought we weren't going to be doing casual tra- travel to other places just for lunch uh, are also lying because we only went for lunch. So, so there. On a train, so it's okay, Greta. It's fine. But yes, you two can go on a train to another country, ladies and gentlemen. And it was all perfectly acceptable. However, on the food front, I can confirm that I picked up some pocket coffee when I was in Italy, which is one of my favourite things. And normally, <clears throat> I'm showing, holding it up here so you can envisage it in your visible minds. But uh, normally, it's if people who aren't aware of pocket coffee, which is, must be all people who haven't been to a, an Italian service station, uh, you get it in solid form. And it's like a chunk of coffee. And then the hollowed out bit in the middle has cold coffee in it. You're often a little bit grainy, which adds to something. But I was, so I bought a couple of packets and I was thinking, this is fantastic. I'm going to stay away forever. Um, but I discovered that the summer edition, so clearly I've only been to Italy in the winter before, features a tiny, tiny straw here, indicates tiny straw. And you put this in the thing. And then you've got like a little, little, we're having a live action pocket coffee is, demo it's, here. It's just like it's like molten chocolate and espresso. And I will now here at three o'clock in the afternoon on Freedom Monday uh, be awake until possibly the next Freedom Day comes around. <laughs> However, it is wrong and disgusting, um, and I haven't realised that they've done this in the summer when we should go back to the solid ones. Um, but it was because it was Italy, very advantageously priced. And this was this was the point I was going to make when Tom was talking about his highly inflated cinnamon rolls buns is there not this is this is something i'm very much looking forward to whenever we get to croatia via iceland at this rate is the joy of foreign climbs and looking at the wine rack and seeing that they're all three euros and (laughs) disappointment of thinking ah it's not a cinnamon roll and two pounds fifty but it is a bottle of wine for three euros did you have any struggles with that tom while you were paying highly highly inflated prices no, actually, we didn't. Um, we picked up a few bottles of rosé. Um, there's a brewery in the town as well, so this is where we stay. So it, you, you wake up in the morning and, and you, you smell beer, you know, from the front door, which which is always a bit worrying, actually, because you kind of, even though it's 9 o'clock in the morning, you kind of feel like cracking open a beer. But um, we didn't do that. I can trust you. Trust tr- tr- You can trust me. But we... Um, 
you know, we certainly, we in moderation, we we had a tipple or two. And uh, but just coming back to the point, the whole point of holidays is that you don't really ultimately worry so much about the cost when you're enjoying yourselves, and it's all about the experience. And um, my family aren't listening now, but being with my family on holiday with our dogs as well um, for a week, just a small period of time, it was just fantastic, and it did give give us a chance to recharge a bit and chill out and uh yeah bring up a few new arguments of course but equally we had some uh, some fun times as well and that is what holidaying should be very wise so talking of experiences if you um were freedom day as we've now mentioned if you were to be utilizing your freedom to the max um and getting on a train going into london doing some freedom like things in london um what would your week look like? Well, I think when I was last on the, on, on the podcast, I, I said, what would I do on Freedom Day? And I, would, I said I would go to London and I would line up loads of meetings, have face-to-face meetings with clients, friends, colleagues, but also go to some restaurants, go to some pubs most evenings, basically spend the whole week there and just sort of reconnect with the sissy and the fabric and the culture and, and, and the enjoyment of it. But Given that we're in the middle of the holiday season and it's quite hot and my train's air conditioning is a bit unreliable, I really don't want to go to London today. Um, In fact, I don't really want to go to London this week. Um, I would rather defer my Freedom Day till after the schools have gone back, so sort of early September time, when I think that's going to be the trigger for quite a lot more um, activity in the hotel market, uh, that is for sure. Um, if I was really in London this week, I believe it would be sad actually seeing the difference between what seaside towns are like at the moment. There would be no queues for sandwich shops. There would be no queues for perhaps even ice cream shops. Um, there certainly wouldn't be queues of people queuing for lanyards at lanyards and goodie bags at at conferences, industry conferences. Um, so I think it would be, yeah, it wouldn't be the experience that I envisaged and I, I envisaged for Freedom Day, but perhaps timing is a thing here because it's the middle of the summer. Certainly the corporate world isn't going to really be there at the moment. Um, but of course, with travel situations as they are, perhaps there aren't going to be no, that many tourists either unless they're domestic. So um, I think London um, will see better times, but at the moment it's probably not the best time to be there. Very wise. Um, should we talk about hotel investing? Because um, that being our thing collectively, um, I'm intrigued. Should we do cue sound effect? What, what, what are we what are we rambling towards, Catherine? Quarter of reckoning. <laughs> it's available for voiceovers. Um, any sort of any sort of voice related. Anything work. that someone who talks big rejects, I'll take. You know. But here you go. Um, so, Tom. Yeah. Uh, well, what's what's I, going on out there? Well, I'd like, just like to say that it sounds like Catherine's on a game show or something, but if if during what I have to say about the, the investment market, Catherine feels it appropriate to say, quarter of reckoning. It sounds like um, Sid Waddell on the darts. Do you remember, do you remember him? 180. 180. Um, yeah, so... It's a sport, you know. It, it, no, it is actually, and it's a very popular. You know, that is one of the the sports that people forget about. When we've had these so many sort of indoor stadium bands, I suppose. I mean, 
darts is one of those those sports that I think is raring to come back because it's a hell of a hoolie and you get jam packed into um, Lakeside Farrock or somewhere like that. Um, you're, you're you're at the bar a lot, um, and there is some real sport. Um, as much as you think that it's just a sedentary sedentary game, um, it's not all. all sedentary. I would never think that. I would never think that. And my aunt, who once walked in front of somebody throwing a dart and took it in the back of her skull, can confirm for you it's in fact not just a sport. It's oh. dangerous as well. Oh, gosh! Well, on that happy note, um, quarter of reckoning. So seamlessly, tell me more about the quarter of well, reckoning. Well, think, we we all know, and we've talked about it already on this call, that leisure and sort of resort markets are probably having most focus of investors at the moment, and. Just looking away from the UK, if you look in Spain, they've had about a billion euros of of deals this year. In Portugal, there's a billion euro portfolio that's going through final rounds at the moment. And and recent deals are very typical of the type that are being structured. The the recent sale, for example, of of a Melia portfolio of about nine assets for 200 million euros, they did it on a sale and managed back. So it was an asset sale to increase liquidity. So they've retained operation through an HMA, um, but they've managed to cash out and that will inject um, working capital or pay down some debt or whatever they need it for. And I think we'll probably see more of that from the likes of Melia. Um, But we've also seen some deals in in Barcelona, some sale and manage backs, sale and lease backs. And these are at prices that I think pretty much reflect pre-pandemic prices. So we would say they're at par value. And the reason is, of course, is that, you know, Barcelona is a city that isn't just going to rely on corporates. It's going to rely on a lot of leisure business as well and high spending leisure business. So we're going to see certainly a lot more of that. We're seeing funds like um, Santander and and Signal have created a sort of an Iberian Peninsula fund to invest in those markets. So a a lot of focus. Um, And the big the big question is, well, what happens when? this summer's not as strong as it was expected to be because of travel bans, et cetera. And sure, I think there's going to be a liquidity crunch in in, in many of these particularly coastal resort markets um, that haven't had the, the weight of visitors to enable them to um, balance the books. So I, I suspect that the quarter of reckoning is, is coming up, um, is coming up. But equally, you know, the right location, um, I, John Gray from Blackstone said, you've just got to pick the right neighbourhood, not necessarily the right asset. So you get the right location, you'll be okay, um, and and the business will return. But I think that there will be um, a need for a number of these groups to raise equity. Um, but it's not it's not just all the resort markets at the moment. If you If you look at London, the global metropolis – that it is, we've actually seen 500 million plus worth of transactions in the last four to six weeks, possibly two months. Um, And I think this is for a number of reasons. Um, Firstly, investors will always buy in London whenever there is an opportunity, regardless of uncertainties at the moment about the strength of the corporate market and when is it coming back investors particularly internationally will always want to buy in london but also the deals are demonstrating that 
existing owners and a real need to unlock equity and, and secure liquidity by the way they're structuring these deals because they're selling they're selling the assets, but they are ensuring they have operational control going forward. So we're seeing ground rents, we're seeing some income strips, we're seeing some JVs, we're seeing some managed backs, and we're seeing some lease backs. So that's fantastic because I think what that demonstrates is that there's an outlet for these owners to to inject liquidity into their businesses, um, but equally they believe in the long-term fundamentals of, of this particular city as well uh, and the future, even if for the short term there are some uncertainties and challenges. They, they don't want to, to let go of their asset forever. Um, they probably bought it to hold it forever, but now if the best they can do is to operate it forever, then they'll do that. So I think that's a really important message. And other sort of key key cities in Europe are similar. We mentioned Barcelona, but Madrid possibly as well, Milan, Rome, Paris, of course, these sort of forever cities that will, will always be in demand from investors. But regardless of their appeal, they they are going to face huge challenges let's not kid ourselves in in the coming in the coming months because with with furloughs ending with um with banks probably having to flex their muscles and the recovery probably not hitting the criteria that was expected or is going to be expected uh, because perhaps sluggish return of the corporate market for example and conferencing then there's going to be a massive pl- hole to plug and the only way that some owners are going to do this is by selling assets or p- perhaps entering into JVs with others um, and so on and so forth. So um, that is what they call the quarter of reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> I, remain, some, I, remain, I remain mildly optimistic then that we may see. Yeah, no, there is. And I think, I think the, 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 light, the light of the end tunnel is that even though markets like London are suffering at the moment, they're still strongly backed, and and that will always continue. But other other towns and cities in the UK will also be be strongly backed, and we've seen deals in these areas where we've actually seen prices coming over the level of of a guide price, which is unheard of normally. You know, it's unheard of in this sort of market, but um, it, it, it's happening, and it demonstrates that. As an asset class, hotels are considered to be have the strongest potential poten- uh, p- potential to 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 recover um, out of the crisis, and uh, that will happen. It's just you've got to get the timing right. And for those those investors that aren't looking, say in London at the moment, they're probably waiting till September October. Um, is that too late? Is it too early still? We we don't know. But um, you know, certainly some Asian investors I've been speaking to have said, well, look, why chase a deal now? when the owners are going to be chasing you in three months. So it's just differences of opinion, really. We may yet see those uh, tea dances in the basement of conference hotels then in the, in the, uh, that we talked about last time, how to utilise conference spaces. I look forward to that day. Um, what other news? You mentioned lands afar. What's, um, what is happening in Asia, Australia, the other side, in the US? Um, yes, Give us your thoughts on those geographies. Well, well, um, Asia, not a lot really. You, you can tell by the fact that when the HVS news comes through, there are no deals, and it's all about 
sort of rescue packages and, and, and new brand innovation and things like that. There are no deals being re- reported. Um, but that's because a lot of the owners' ownership is private um, in, 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 in the Asian markets. And um, the, it, owners typically haven't had, to, even in a post-other crisis, had to sell. They've also got support of banks as well. So I don't think we'll see, we'll see sort of distress selling from that market necessarily. Um, but in Australia, we've certainly seen activity in the key cities, the Brisbans, the, the Melbournes, uh, the Sydneys. And one worth mentioning is a group called Pro, Pro Invest, who've been quite active. They just bought the Primus in Sydney for about 160 odd million um, Aussie dollars. But now they're looking to invest in Europe, actually. So um, they've come over, they've got a team in place. And it's a group that we'll hear more of, I'm sure, because I think they've got quite a lot of dry powder and they've um, got a really strong team, actually, to, to sort of make acquisitions. So um, we'll, we'll see a bit of that. The, the, the US is, is also um, very, very active. And, you know, the big, the big stonking deal this year has been extended stay, um, Blackstone and... and start with capital buying that although i believe at the moment one shareholder is contesting that deal that six billion dollar deal so it remain to be seen if it goes through but i imagine they'll get pushed aside quite easily um but but i must just share with you something i heard which which is only in america but extended stay accommodation has been described as the mvp of the crisis i'm sorry you had to hear that and we all had to hear that now i I know i know and we'd probably say you know we'd probably call it the most resilient sector of hospitality but they call it the mvp of the crisis um but but other deals that are attracting great attention are the you know drive to leisure markets the sun belt the the floridas the californias and and pricing's pretty robust in fact there are more two million dollar deals today per key than there ever have been, and 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 what the brokers are saying is two million is the new, uh, t- two million is the new one million. Um, so it's it's particularly in these markets that that performed incredibly resiliently, particularly last year, um, with wealthy wealthy people able to travel to these markets as well as just mediocre people who were able to enjoy sort of more mid-scale resorts, whereas the super rich were able to enjoy luxury resort and spend, and spend a lot of money on them. So um, this is sort of fed through to strong P&Ls, and um, we'll, we'll probably see more deals like that. But the, the one the one area that really intrigues me is Las Vegas, or, or sorry, is it Las Vegas? I don't know. I never know. Um, but there's been about $10 billion invested in the city this year, but remarkably, it's only on two deals. One was an MGM sale and leaseback, um, and the I think the message from that is that there's considered to be pent up demand for group domestic business and conferencing, um, which of course Vegas is is famous for. So there's been some big bets put on the real estate and the operations there uh, this year, and you know no, no doubt. Other cities will perhaps be experiencing some of that bounce back in in group domestic business. And perhaps in the UK, we might see something similar as well. I mean, certainly 
look, I'm, I'm a company of only one person, so I can't really go on a conference on my own. Um, but if I had a group of um, colleagues, I think post-lockdown Freedom Day Plus, I would be wanting to take my colleagues somewhere to get to know them again, to, to, to brainstorm, to you know, strategize on business going forward, etc. So I really think domestic conferencing could be quite strong. And I'm sure a lot of investors are, are, are sort of keeping an eye on that to, to, to sort of monitor where they might want to put, put, put money um, going forward. Um, just, just on a final market, um, New York, which has, has always been one of the most widely sought after investment markets, but this is a typical sort of story of going from hero to zero. And, you know, the remarkable thing is in New York, um, during the crisis, 20,000 hotel rooms have been shuttered, which, which is staggering, really. But what that means equally is there's great opportunity potentially for anybody who buys in this market now, an asset that might cost, might have cost two thirds, it might cost, cost say two thirds of the value that it would be pre pandemic. And um, so I'm sure there'll be, there'll be more opportunities and more investment activity there. Um, a, an example, just to compare with London is uh, this 194 room hotel, which is just on Times Square. So similar to sort of Leicester Square and the, the hotel's vacant possession. It's not. There's no union. It's fee simple, which basically means freehold, and it can be bought today for about three hundred thousand pounds a key. Now, if that was in London, it's probably six hundred thousand plus. It's probably double. Um, so, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd probably look at a market like New York and do a bit of speculation there because you can still buy value, value propositions today, which are marked down from from the pandemic pre pandemic prices. Uh, well, my aunt would tell me that New York is over, but of course she did take a dart to the back of the head. <laughs> she does. She's always telling us in the emails about it. It's all over. Yeah, well, all over. It sounds like she's alive, which is fantastic. I'm really it's pleased to hear that. <laughs> um, in matters of results, what is uh, Pandox have done some results? Done, done some resulting, did, Catherine? They did done some resulting. They did done some resulting. And what was interesting about Pandox's resulting um, was that it was the same day as Scandix resulting. And of course, one is the landlord of the other. And given that there's been a lot of excitement in recent days slash 15 months about rents and who's paying rents and who shouldn't be paying rents, it was interesting to see how the Scandies have been doing it. And, um, and what was most fascinating was that both parties seemed very happy. So Pandoc said they hadn't been cutting rents because, you know, whatever, you're kidding. Um, but they have been coming up with plans and people have been sticking to the plans and, uh, and it was all going tickety-boo. And Scandic, who, of course, were most likely to be eviscerated at the start of the pandemic, also very happy, although losing their CFO, an unrelated matter, um, and saying, wasn't it great and wonderful and everything was coming back? And they were seeing business travel bookings for, um, for, the, for the autumn in the Nordic region. And wasn't it all wonderful? We all worked together and everything was fine when we all worked together to find solutions. And there is a message there. I haven't got to the bottom of it yet because I haven't finished watching the, um, watching the presentation. But there is a message there. No doubt it will become apparent as we move forward. But um, Pandox is also an interesting party because they described the UK as a bright spot. Um, certainly, if you look at the current case level on any kind of coloured map, it is a bright spot. And <laughs> For all the wrong reasons. <laughs> but, but they were very happy with this. And, um, and they've been seeing, um, as you recall, they um, are big into the juries in over in the UK. And um, they've been saying, I think it was off the top of my head, 60% um, occupancy outside London, 47 in. 
Um, so numbers that previously or prior to 2020 would have you screaming into a pillow. But on this occasion, not too upsetting at all. And they were very cheery about how things were going to go for Freedom Day. Well, there you go. And good for them. So it turns out if you do talk to each other and you have a conversation and you sort of you work it out, mm. anything is possible. Yes. And both Scandic and Pandox reported having, you know, reasonable liquidity. Who'd have thunk it? Might just catch on. You know, you know what will happen to Pandox, of course, in, you know, who's who's gathering around it with their dry powder is, of course, anyone's guess and speculation for another time. But uh, at the moment, tickety-boo. Mm, I'm pleased to hear it. Um, Tom, have you got any other observations or musings or ponderings that you would like to share with our delightful podcast audience? Yeah, well, just on just on you mentioned the Pandoc strategy, Catherine, on, on rents and sort of coming up with some sort of structuring perhaps to help support them, um, which, of course, a lot of commercial landlords have done in the UK as well. But it's quite interesting that this week two big, big rhinos of commercial real estate, you know, perhaps some not as successful as they might have been because of what they've been investing in, but Hammersons and British Land have have said we are giving no we are no longer granting rent concessions um and and those are big those are you know they own a lot a lot of commercial real estate particularly on retail um so be interesting to see whether landlords in the hotel sector sort of take a similarly robust view um when quarter four starts or not well the the pandemic's over now in the uk so i don't they seem you know perfectly well positioned to say such things exactly exactly um and the 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 other the other thing i wanted to mention was soho house Um, oh yeah because they they floated this i mean they've copped a lot of flack but they've successfully floated in new york and as much as much as they were knocked for oh gosh you know the the share price fell 10 percent on the first day they still succeeded in a $3 billion float and they raised £420 million pounds, or dollars, sorry. Now, um, some of that's for expansion, of course, and I'll, probably some of it's to plug gaps as well. But um, the the concept has clearly been embraced by investors. And I think part of this is the fact that the Soho House model is very much looking towards a, a working environment where members come and spend three days a week at a Soho House as a member and have it as their sort of sort of working office during the week or people who've sold out of London, say, or other cities and live further out, so don't have access to London as easily. Um, and the reason why they're confident in, in that is that they've, they've got a massive wasting list for memberships because people want to do that. They want to come into London, you know, park their bag there for a couple of days and, and just use the the, the, the comfort and, and, and facilities presented to them. Um, so that seems to be the story there. They've got about 30 properties around the world. They're, they're quite long on properties for sure, but they want to go further. Um, remains to be seen how successful they're going to be, but it seems to have been embraced by the investment community. Yes, well, membership is, is a consistent revenue stream, isn't it? And so when you can say, oh, they have to pay that, what happens? That's always brings brings joy into investors' hearts. Um, I did see that they were planning on getting into digital membership, 
um, where it's just digital and, and nowhere to rest your bag, which I will watch with some some fascination as to how strong the brand is that you can just say, I'm paying X amount to have Soho House as an app on my phone, how much value there is there. But um, got to give it a punt, I suppose. And no rooftop bar or pool yeah. included in that digital membership. No, think. no, which I would find I would find trying. But um, but then as a as an access point, somebody who maybe wants to be a face in the media and all that sort of thing, then uh, then why not? Yeah, I suppose if you get if you get sort of bragging rights and it's like I'm a member of Soho House, and then you sort of say, just like, on my phone, <laughs> digital, sorry, digital, <laughs> digital, digital member. Yes, yes, and gloss over it. Here, here in Cannes for the film festival last week, they also offered a digital only um, attendance rate, um, which I thought was quite good. Although not if you saw a number, quite good because you could see some films what there were in the Cannes as part as that was it. But there was no dressing up and hanging out and getting you know abuse held at you or anything like that, or people saying maybe are you an influencer or are you a famous person? You're missing out on that. Didn't get a bag, as I could tell. So. Hmm. but we'll see if it works better for Soho House we will keep our eyes peeled perhaps Tom you could come and join us for podcast part three Tom Oakden part three where we will discuss where we all become members of Soho House yes yes well yes. There, there, there is going to be a time when we do speak when there will have been conferences and there will have been hotel conferences um, IHIF for example in September and um, yeah I, I kind of wait with bated breath to see how those those. They, I just think that they will be they will be just a breath of fresh air for everybody, really. Um, as long as you're wearing a face mask, of course. Um, no, you, you won't need to, though, will you? You won't need to because um, the pandemic is over. Um, but but um, no, that that's going to be great coming together of the industry, and I'm still working out a way that I can get there. And at the moment, it's looking a bit of a long shot. So I might have to be a remote member of the. <laughs> IHF community you can add that to your digital digital membership wallet so you can mention it casually in coffee houses yeah and 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 cinnamon bun houses yes back to cinnamon buns, oh, cinnamon Tom, bun houses. it has been a joy and a delight and thank you so much for joining us as we celebrate our freedom i hope i hope that's been liberating for everybody involved um Catherine, thank you for your insight, for sharing the 31 degrees that you're managing to avoid very intelligently. Well, it's not Freedom Day here, so I can only look on in wonder. <laughs> and a wonder it is. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, we enormously appreciate everybody's support. And we will be back for another episode of New Tricks next time. Many thanks once and all. Bye, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple, or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.